as I get my ducks in a row, I want to introduce myself. Uh, my name is Sean, and I am a struggling workaholic. I have lived a life uh, with those around me that work so hard, uh, but I struggle disconnecting my value from my work. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you've had a boss that has valued you only because of the performance that you could provide. Maybe delivering on a product or service was what your value was based on. Maybe uh, there was analytic data of how good you were or poor you were at your job based off of some spreadsheet. We all, in many ways, feel this way about how others think of us. We are a society that is based on status. We are a society that is works-based. So what do you do? How much do you make? How big's your house? Now, we don't ask for square footage. That would be foolish and would be a weird conversation starter. But we want to know, oh, where, what, what part of the neighborhood do you live in? Oh, okay, great. We ask some of those things because we know at our heart, in our being, we feel this same tension too, because when we look in the mirror, we think of ourselves in this way too. What have I done? What have I done for society? What have I done for the Lord? Maybe what have I done for the church? All of these things weigh heavy on us, and we are reminded as I can't get my sermon notes up, always have a hard copy. But we're reminded of this desire to be wanted, to be appreciated for what we have done. And in our text this morning, we will see that because Jesus' heart for us, that in his very heart, he is gentle and lowly. Because of that fact, we can come to him through faith and be given rest, both eternal rest and, I think, earthly rest, that because of Jesus' heart for us, we can have rest, that, uh, let me just read it exactly how I said it the first time, because Jesus' heart for us is gentle and lowly, we can come to him by faith and be given rest for eternity and for today. I want to ask you a question. On a scale of one to five, and I'm going to ask you because no one can see you on the live stream. Guarantee it. I took a lot of classes on nonverbal communication, and it feels like maybe this text is right where we need to be this morning. Our singing's been quieter. Our demeanor's been quieter. So I just want to ask, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being the worst, 5 being the best, how are you feeling about being in church this morning? 
Five's the best. One's the worst. You have, okay. That's encouraging. I was expecting that there would be more, as Josh prayed, that maybe we've had hard weeks that we've just been trying to get through. And maybe we've hung our hat on the side of, man, I'm going to get to go to church on Sunday. That all of these things going on in life, they're hard, they're rough, they're vigorous, but I'm going to go to church and I'm going to hear good news. And I don't know where it's going to be from in the scripture, but I know I'm going to hear good news of how Jesus saves me, how Jesus redeems me, how Jesus does these different things. And what an awesome reality that we can come to a place where we know that that's what's going to be preached. But in more uh, to our theme this morning, we can bring whatever we have to Jesus. Whether we are the weary and burdened, the call is the same. Come to me. So as we look at this theme, this topic of because Jesus' heart for us is gentle and lowly, we can come to him by faith for rest, both in eternity and an earthly rest. I want us to look at three things. I want us to first and foremost start off with the most important thing. Look at this gentle and lowly Savior. In this book, Gentle and Lowly, uh, he points us, Dane Ortland points to the fact that this is one of the uh, only times within Scripture that we actually see from Jesus' very mouth, the mouth of God the Son, what his heart is like. And his heart is not like our boss. His heart is not like maybe our heart where we say, what do you have for me? What are you bringing to the table? Maybe the taskmaster of, okay, there's more for you to do. In Jesus, we see that his heart is lowly and humble, the CSB says. What does it mean for this lowly Savior to call us to come to him? Think of who he is. This is God the Son that sat outside of all eternity, who holds all of these things together in his hands, who spoke into creation all that we see and know, who was the promised fulfillment from Genesis 3.15 all the way forward, and here he stands in front of the crowd and says, Come to me. How many, if we were being honest, when somebody comes to us with their pain or with their burden, we say, not with our words, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry about that pain. Yeah, that seems really hard. That seems, yeah. Yeah, no, no, I'm I'm not in a rush, keep going. Jesus' heart is unlike our heart and that he is lowly and humble. That he bids us, his creatures, to come to him. He doesn't say, go and talk to your mom. He doesn't say, go and talk to somebody else who cares. He doesn't say any of those things. He says, come to me. I had a basketball coach in high school that as a junior 
maybe sophomore, he just kept yelling at me and yelling at me and yelling at me. And finally, I had had enough. And so I got right up in his face. I was quite taller than he was. And I said, why do you always yell at me? You don't yell at these other guys. Why are you always yelling at me? And he looked at me and he said, you know why I'm not yelling at them? It's because they're not going to be able to do these different things. They're checked out. You're still in it, and I can motivate you by yelling at you. And I thought, that's not really how I receive motivation. <laughs> I'm a words of affirmation guy, coach. Like this, this is not helpful for me. Jesus is unlike that. The God who made us standing before his brothers in the flesh calls them to come to him when they are weary and burdened and he will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This God who made us, who holds all things together, has stepped out of heaven, becoming the Word made flesh, humbling Himself to the point of death, death on a cross. There is no time, there is no baggage there is no emotion, there is no fear, there is no weight that Jesus does not bid you to come. Oh, that's too much. Jesus will never say that. Oh, that's too much for me to handle. No, He endured the cross, friend. For you. When we're reminded of our friends and their desire to take on themselves our pain, our hurt, our burden, we are what? We are amazed. Man, I remember when so-and-so sat with me and prayed with me. I remember when they uh, allowed me to speak into all of the things that I was going through in life and they just listened and encouraged me, perhaps even with the Scripture. That blows our minds. May we be more like those friends. But when in a far greater sense, the God of all creation steps into our pain and calls us to come to Him. That ought to well up in our hearts a love and affection for this Jesus who is gentle and lowly. We're reminded in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, that this king rides into Bethany on a coal, uh, on a colt, the foal uh, of, of a donkey. He comes not as the other kings. He comes not as the kings that they had honestly hoped for. He comes as the king in which they need. That when he comes to set all things right, he doesn't do so by a sword, but he does so by his words and by his actions. Jesus in Matthew's gospel is recognized as the son of David, the son of Abraham, the son of God. That as he heals, as he changes, he is pushing back the kingdom and dominion of darkness and he is reestablishing what a kingdom would be like for him. We see this even in his own death. In the trial in which he took part, he is silent. 
He didn't even raise his voice. This gentle and lowly Savior died for you. Died for me. This is the Savior that we needed. It wasn't the Savior that our ancestors, the Israelites, uh, spiritual ancestors, obviously, uh, believed and hoped for. This was the Savior who would be gentle and lowly, who would not push back the walls of Roman imperialism, who would not cause all of the kingdoms of the world to crumble in an instant. But beloved, he will come back and will do that. Jesus has been given all authority. See, just in verse 27, the verse just preceding our text that we're looking at, all things have been entrusted to me by my Father. Jesus has all authority, and yet he continues to call, continues to be gentle and lowly. Friends, if I were to confess how often when my children come to me and I am not gentle and lowly, I would run out of reminders in my mind. Catherine, just this week, scraped her knee on the sidewalk, said, Dad, I need a bandage. There wasn't any blood. I was like, you don't need a bandage. And what did she do? She went to someone else. She came to me, and my heart towards her was not gentle and lowly. I am sinful, fallen, frail. But Jesus, in the most ultimate way, says, come to me. He doesn't say, go and see someone else. He doesn't say, talk to your mom. He says, come to me, all who are burdened, and I will give you rest. This is the gentle and lowly Savior, Jesus Christ. That you can bring your weariness, your tiredness, your nine to five or maybe seven to eight. You can bring the burdens that are weighing you down and you ought to bring them directly to Him. This is our gentle and lowly Savior. And this gentle and lowly Savior promises that He will give us rest, rest for eternity and rest earthly. It's hard to differentiate between the two because eternity for the believer starts at salvation. That there is a promise that we will be with the Lord upon our death. But there are certainly also earthly blessings, earthly provisions of rest. So I want us to kind of take in conjunction eternal and earthly rest. But we'll start more primarily with an eternal rest. Jesus in this moment is speaking to large crowds. He's continued to go and he's drawing a crowd of both Pharisees and scribes, the religious leaders of the day. And what does he do? He doesn't say, keep these 1,800 laws and you will be right with God. No, he says, come to me. Take my yoke and learn from me. 
because I'm lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. There's a reminder for those who have followed the law that there is heaped on them burdens. Towards the end of Matthew's gospel, I believe it's in chapter 23, Jesus himself points these, uh, these believers to a reminder that these scribes and Pharisees continue to heap on their hearers uh, continued weights, but yet they won't lift a finger. It's in Matthew 23, but I'm not going to look all the way through it. Forgive me for that. But there is a reminder that the uh, system of laws and sacrifices in Christ has been and is being in this time replaced. In him, fulfilled is a better term. It's being fulfilled in Christ. That the weight that was bared, uh, that they bore for themselves, Jesus now says, it all rests on me. For unto them a son is born, and the government, the whole world, will be on his shoulders. The weight of sin and our uh, presentation and worship before God is in dire need of restoration. It needs a better way. The Israelites knew this. You have that I want to be kind because I believe that all Scripture is inspired and is profitable. But you have the uh, place where all Scripture reading goes to die, the chapter or the book of Leviticus, where there is time after time a reminder of what a sinful person must do and have a priest do for them as a mediation to atone and to cleanse and to pardon their sin. There is a reminder that they bear a significant weight and responsibility for their sin, and they must pay it. Fast forward thousands of years. Now, Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes have not only kept those laws, but they've added to them. They continue to heap on the people a continued burden. But Jesus says, I will give you rest. The psalmist reminds us that when we do not cry out to God with our sin, our body, our bones, our whole stature becomes feeble. And yet, for the one who confesses his sins to God is one who's able to rejoice. This weight of sin and burden was on them for the immediate and for the eternal, in the earthly and the eternal. They carried this day in and day out. Maybe like the psalmist, they'd say, I look, and where does my hope come from? Where does my help come from? Jesus says, come to me. For Jesus knew that not only is his heart gentle and lowly, but he knew that his designed purpose was to take that sin on the cross as the only one who could fulfill perfectly God's law. So Jesus doesn't put us off to another religious leader. He doesn't put us off to another religious system. He doesn't put us off to any type of moralistic uh, do-gooding. He says, come to me. 
Come to me. Put my yoke on you and learn from me. What an interesting phrase that uh, in an agrarian context, a yoke would have been uh, very easily understood. We're not talking eggs here. And maybe you're like, well, yeah, of course we're not. We're talking oxen. We're talking plows. We're talking uh, cattle. We're talking about what is going to drive the plow to be able to allow them fulfill, to fulfill the work and to complete it in as easy of a way as possible. What an interesting thing that Jesus doesn't say. You won't have any work. You won't have any uh, lack of responsibility. But when I am the one driving the plow, when you put your yoke on you, it's easy. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart. We might, like some homesteaders today, desire to have an agrarian lifestyle. We just were at the farmer's market yesterday. Uh, many farmers, many uh, both cattle farm and chicken farm and all of these things, maybe we desire a more simplified lifestyle. We all, in some ways, have experienced difficult work. As a consequence of sin, we all experience a work that needs to be redeemed. A work that, because of the consequence of sin, continues to be hard, continues to cause us to sweat, continues to be that which does not, in many cases, please us. But Jesus says, take my yoke, and learn from me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That in the immediate, on the earthly sense, they can be freed up from the continued uh, legislation of the law. That all of their rule keeping was not going to fix them. All of their desires. We might even be like the lawyer in the scripture who comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, teacher, I have kept the law. What must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus tells him, Go and sell everything. He says, Okay, that's too much. The reminder for us today is that because of Jesus' heart for us, we can come to Him through faith, recognizing that it is His work, not ours, that saves us. And we can learn from Him because He is humble in heart. I want to, we're good. I've had this interesting revelation that not like, you know, wah, um, but I've, I've had this thought that I've just been thinking about over the last month, two months, maybe three months, is that in, in our culture, we need good news like this. The, I've never in all of my short 32 years heard the term triggered as much as I have in the last 18 months. 
And when you look all around, you look at society, you look at social media, you look at probably all of the things that are the cesspool of, you know, what, what we think is reality. But each of these different things, there is this yearning for uh, entitlement or possession of, and when those things don't pan out, when we are uh, pressed uh, that we might not have something that we thought we deserved or that maybe even perhaps we worked for, we fight in total uh, dis, uh, just, just trying to be like, no, that's mine. Maybe perhaps like the dog that is known that when it is fed, you don't get anywhere near its mouth because if you do, in fear of you taking its food, it will snap at you. Maybe perhaps that is where we are. I've built myself up to this status. I've built myself up to all of these things. The car is mine. The home is mine. All of these things are mine. And when we build a foundation on things that are fleeting, where moth and rust will destroy, we are going to have some abrasive reactions. And so Jesus says, don't bank on your work. For you will overburden yourself you will overwork yourself. You will fight when those things are taken from you because they will be taken from you. And he tells us, come to me. Fall head first into the work in which I have completed for you that won't be destroyed by moth or by rust. cannot be taken to you, friend. Your faith is the only thing that will last for all eternity. So the call is the same. Come to Him. Come to the gentle and lowly Savior, Jesus Christ, where you can feel the burden of your own sin, the burden of your own rule-keeping, the burden of your own work, Rush away as you trust in the full and final work of Jesus. We all handle work differently. Maybe we do have that traditional eight-hour day that you go in, you punch the clock, you're, you do your tasks, and you go home. And you're like, oh, praise the Lord, this is great. Uh, but maybe we have others who, it seems like work just continually uh, gnaws at you. You can't uh, get rid of it in any way. Jesus reminds us that his work is finished. That you don't have to kick up your shoes knowing that, hey, until tomorrow, I don't have to worry about work. Jesus himself, when he finishes the work that he was set out to do, to take our sin on the cross, to bear his life before us, to be stricken, to be spat on, to do all of these things, we are told that he sits down. 
What a reminder of the guarantee of Jesus' finished work. He doesn't have to keep getting up and going out and doing more things. No, it's finished. And the only thing left for him to do is to return for that which he has promised. To finally and forever set all things new. Jesus is our gentle and lowly Savior. Jesus is the one whose work is perfected. Jesus is the one whose work is finished. And he bids us come to him. If we do not come to him, we will remain weary and burdened, both in this life as we continue to try and tip the scales of righteousness and unrighteousness, and we're playing a losing game because we in and of ourselves, can do no righteous deeds. So we can continue to do these things and weary ourselves and overburden us with a thought, a mindset that reminds us, oh, I'm okay, I'm good. Beloved, you will find that that will not work out In the end, you will find yourself, just as the psalmist said, that his bones were weary, his body was weak until he cried out for the Lord and then much rejoicing came. You will find yourself with an earthly, weary, and overburdened body and you will find yourself with an eternally weary and burdened soul because on that day when your mortal body that is destined for death, you will find yourself separated from a holy and righteous God. But... This gentle and lowly Savior doesn't say, stinks for them. What does he say? Come to me. This Jesus who's gentle and lowly desires that no one would perish but would call out to him in faith. You don't have to walk this world weary and burdened. You don't have to go into eternity weary and burdened, separated from God. You are given an opportunity to find rest in Christ. For this rest is not just an earthly rest. It is a rest that, as Jesus says in verse 29, is a rest for your souls. The first century theologian Augustine writes, and if I had my notes, I'd be able to share it verbatim. But Augustine says that we were made, we were created for one purpose, to worship God. And that our souls will be restless until we find our rest in Him. Beloved, if you're not resting in Christ, if you find yourself punching the clock in a spiritual sense of trying to tilt the scales, let me tell you, go to Christ. Run to Him, His work is finished because Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart you can come to him by faith and find earthly and eternal rest two quick application points first because it leads with it in verse 28 go to him if you have not trusted in Christ go to him Go to Him knowing that His resume of finalizing and fulfilling and redeeming sin is complete. Go to Him. Go to Him. 
And secondly, model the behavior of this Savior. We all could walk around and say, we have had bad bosses. We could all walk around and say, my parents expect too much of me. We could all walk around and say, maybe I expect too much of my kids. But here we see the heart of Jesus is that which is gentle and lowly. Proverbs is just full of what it is like to provide a response to children and to others that we would not stir up folly in them. That a gentle response turns away folly, but a harsh response turns up anger. May we model the emotion, the fullness of who Jesus is. And when maybe someone doesn't meet our expectations, instead of just lashing out, I can't believe this. Are you some kind of idiot? Let's be honest, we've never done that. Maybe it's in the mirror. Maybe it's to your dog. Maybe it's to any of these different things. This is who we are, but we are called because our Savior is, we are called to embody the lowly and humble nature. Because we see and have been treated in such a way that we can, in sinful, uh, not as good, certainly, as Jesus, but we are called then to gentle and lowly hearts. So may we find that as we continually go to Jesus, the gentle and lowly Savior, that as we see Him for who He is, as we see Him and unload our burdens on Him, we are then able to turn to one another in that same way. That we might be able to say, go to Jesus. And you will be given rest because he is lowly and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. This fundamentally changed the way that I thought about Jesus. He was always out to get me. That he was always responding with shortness. That he was always responding with, there goes Sean again. What an idiot. Same sin over and over again. Same anger over and over again. That is so far from the truth of our Savior. That He is gentle and lowly in heart. Brothers and sisters, I pray that you would find this to be true of Christ and that you would find rest for your souls, both for eternity and on earth. Let's pray.